All right. Well, we are going to step into our third part of our series, I Can't Do That or I Can Do That. And uh, um, today, I want to share with you, as we talked about Barry in week one, talked about Moses and uh, Jafili last week, talked about David. And, uh, and today, we're going to start out with a story of me in 1990. Um, it is the spring of 1990, and I am looking forward to graduation in May. So I just revealed something about me that uh, maybe some of you didn't know. But anyway, um, <clears throat> it is the spring of 1990. I am in my least favorite class, English. Could you guess that? Yeah. And uh, so I'm in English, and uh, we're writing these short stories, and, and we're supposed to write a short story. Um, about an event that's going to happen 10 years into the future. And I had a burden for my classmates, and I still have a burden for my classmates. In fact, um, because of COVID, some of my classmates actually engage with us online, and that's been so cool. And so um, if you were a classmate, 19, go 1990, yes. Okay. Anyway, um, glad that you're, you're engaging. So I had this burden for my classmates, and, uh, and, and yet I was, I was like, man, how do I share Christ with my classmates without it just being weird, you know, and, and without being a, like a Bible thumper, didn't want to do that, didn't want to be weird. Um, I was pretty shy and uh, kind of like, ah, I, you know, I don't know. And, and, and God puts this opportunity in front of me and he puts this idea in front of me that, you know what, what if I wrote a story about in 10 years, 10 years from now, Jesus comes to rescue his church, and I'm wondering a burden about my classmates and where they're at with Jesus. And I'm thinking, that's a terrible idea. And then part of me is like, that is a great idea. You ever been there? Where he's like, I don't, uh, I mean, there's an opportunity, but I don't, I don't think I like this opportunity. I don't know if I want to take uh, advantage of this opportunity, and uh, and so, what am I going to do with it? And uh, and 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 so I was like, you know what? She said that only like one or two students are going to have time to read their story. So I'm like, oh, I'm pretty safe. It's gonna. There's no way in the world she's going to ask me to read mine. So I'm just going to write it, and then I'll pray that God will pass it by, and I won't have to read it. But you know what? I did what I was, felt like God wanted me to do. So I write this story, and the next day, I, I'm not kidding you, all night long, I didn't even sleep. I, I was terrified. And the next morning, I was even more terrified. I will never forget walking into that class and just thinking, maybe I should skip class. Maybe I should not even come in here. Maybe, and, and I am, I'm not kidding you, I was sweating bullets. I was just like, I... I cannot believe I chose to do this. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, and, uh, and God, through his humor, had the English teacher say, Eric, why don't you stand up and share your story with the class? And so I got to stand up and share the gospel and the love of Jesus and forgiveness of sin with all of my classmates. But see, I, I'm not unique I just had a burden and had an opportunity. I would venture to say all of you have a burden. 
You have a burden for someone. You have a burden for maybe it's a, a classmate. You have a burden maybe for your school if you're here and you're in school. Maybe it's a burden for a, a, a friend. Maybe it's a burden for someone who's in your family. Maybe it's a burden for a spouse. Maybe it's a burden for a coworker. Maybe it's a burden for just someone who's in your community and, man, they're just going through a rough deal and you have a burden for them. And this tension of what do we do with the burden? What, what, what do we do with it? Do we, do, we, do we step into it? We all feel this tension of this burden that we have, and yet there's part of us that wants to come up with these excuses, and I hate to come up with an excuse for this not coming up on the screen, but if Jafili would go and look at that, that would be fantastic because it is not going to come up on the screen. So... Some of the excuses that we come up with, it's like, you know what? I'm just not a very good speaker. You know? I'm just, I, I don't have any special training. I, I don't know the Bible well enough. I'm not a very good speaker. I'm too young. I'm, I'm, I, I don't have very much experience. Besides, they're not even interested. They're not even interested in, in you know, what I'm doing. Oh, no more excuses. It's none of my business. Yeah, give him, give him applause. Good job, Philly. All right, none of my business. It's none of my business. Right? I mean, it, they, don't, they, don't, they don't care about this. And so we just, we explain it away. God gives us an opportunity. We know we should step into the opportunity but we have every excuse in the book not to go with the opportunities that God presents to us. The disciples, I don't know what your view is, and maybe you're, you know, you're not a Bible person and you don't really, you've heard of the disciples, Jesus' disciples, but you don't really know anything about them. But, but I, I'm, I'm venturing, you would think, well, they're probably like top-notch, right? I mean, in, in fact, before this series, maybe you thought all of these Bible characters were just extraordinary individuals. They're like Ivy League guys. They're, they're like knock it out of the park guys. They're, they're, you know, straight A guys. They're, you know, unbelievably polished individuals. And yet when you open the scriptures, you find something completely different. You find that they were very ordinary. And that's exactly what we find with the disciples. In fact, most of the disciples were fishermen by trade. I mean, they were just blue collar, you know what, get up, work hard, not really do any, you know, what they would consider extraordinary things. And one of the guys, one of his disciples was actually a tax collector who was like the bottom of the bottom rung in their society, and to which I'm sure they were like, well, you know, we might be fishermen, but at least we're not tax collectors. I mean, for crying out loud, Jesus, why would you choose him? And yet we follow the disciples as they're walking with Jesus in the middle of Jesus' ministry. These guys have been walking with him for a year, year and a half. And, uh, and Jesus is vulnerable with them. And watch what they, what they say back to Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 44 says, listen to me, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, listen to me and remember what I say. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. But they did not know what he meant. 
Its significance was hidden from them so they couldn't understand it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. And then they turned towards one another and it's like, really guys? I mean, is this what we're going to do? Then his disciples began arguing about which one of them was the greatest. You're like, okay, time out. Maybe Jesus needs to pick better guys, you know? Maybe he needs to pick a little better individuals. I mean, seriously, you are growing men, and you are arguing about which one of you is better than everybody else. I mean, we also find in, an, in another time when Jesus, he's way up north of Jerusalem in Galilee, and they're going to head back down. In fact, right after this, they decide they're going to head back down towards Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and as they're going, they're going to go through Samaria. Now, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. They didn't really like one another. Um, and yet the quickest route to get to Jerusalem was through Samaria. Jesus didn't care because Jesus loved Samaritans. But Jesus sends a few guys ahead to this town to kind of prepare the place where they would come and stay. Well, they find out that Jesus is coming and they're not really too excited about them coming. Because they're just going to pass through. They're Jews and they're just going to pass through and go to Jerusalem. So the, the townspeople didn't, you know, they didn't welcome them with open arms. And we find out a couple of the disciples' response to this in Luke chapter 9, verse 55. When James and John saw this, this being not being welcomed, like we don't want you to stay here, just keep on going, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we just call down fire from heaven and burn them up? Okay, maybe you didn't get the joke. It's like, seriously? What? You're, you're in ministry with Jesus. You're on your way down. I mean, you've been hanging out with Jesus now for a long time. And Jesus is talking about, I want you to love others as I have loved you. And someone kind of disses you, and your response is, let's just smoke them. God, why don't you just smoke them? Just, let's just get rid of them. I mean, seriously? And... I mean, to which Je I, I'm thinking Jesus was like, maybe I should get some different guys. You know, maybe I should get some different individuals because I'm about ready to pass on to these guys the most important message that has ever existed in the history of the earth. I'm going to pass on to them the most important message of a movement of people around the world declaring that there is a God who loves you and there is forgiveness available to you for sin. Well, as they're on, still on their way down to Jerusalem, Mark records for us another conversation and Jesus is super vulnerable. In fact, this is where they're, they're actually heading down to Jerusalem and this is when Jesus knows that he's going to be crucified on a cross. Mark records, listen, this is Jesus, he says, he says to his disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. 
Not even figurative language. He's just kind of coming right out and telling these guys, guys, you just need to know this is what's going to happen um, tomorrow. And James and John, their response is just, it, it's just incredible. So check this out. Then James and John, they're kind of like, oh man, <clears throat> the, sons of, you know, the sons of Zebedee, they, they came over and spoke to Jesus and they're like, oh, teacher, you know, that whole mocking thing, that's really tough. I mean, the dying part, that's going to be really hard. And uh, flogging, whew, yeah, I don't, you know, that's, uh, it's really sorry you're going to have to go through that. It's really tough. But hey, <clears throat> on a side note, we have a request for you. Could we, could we ask you something? Jesus is like, um, <clears throat> what, what is it that you want? <laughs> Check this out. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, because we realize you're going to throw the Romans off and the whole dying part, not sure how that's going to fit in, but, you know, aside from that, I mean, the spitting, there might be some spitting and mocking and, you know, a little bit of whip thing, you know, I don't know. But then you're going to pull out your, your magic stuff that you do, and it's going to be phenomenal. We just know that. And so when you do that, when you sit on your glorious throne, we're just wondering, um, would it be okay if we could sit in the place of honor next to you, like one on your left and one on your right? Would that be okay? Once again, Jesus, maybe you should pick some different people to take this most important message around the globe because these guys are really ordinary. I mean, they're kind of acting like me. I mean, they're just a little bit skeptical. In fact, I think I could probably maybe follow you, Jesus, a little bit better than what these guys are doing. <laughs> and... Then they're in the upper room. They're in the upper room. Remember that? And Jesus is washing their feet. Jesus is washing their feet, and then they have communion together, and Jesus is talking to them about his broken body and his shed blood. And, and then he tells the guys, he's like, but one of you is going to betray me. And the guys, are they kind of start arguing with one another. I mean, who would ever do that? Who would ever do that? And then they start arguing with one another in the upper room the night Jesus is arrested. They argued among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. So if you're thinking that these disciples are just extraordinary men who are just like, I mean, they never got it wrong, and they're just, I mean, they're full of faith and, and, and just follow Jesus extraordinarily, I mean, Here's a snapshot of the disciples to which Jesus had to have thought, "Woo, I'm going to hand the, king, the keys of the kingdom off to this group. And then the next day, Jesus is arrested. He's crucified. And the disciples, you can imagine what they did. They're thinking, okay, well, we were obviously wrong. We're following the wrong guy because messiahs can't die. The Son of God cannot die. That's not how the plan was supposed to go. He died, therefore he's not who he said he was. And now we're just, we wasted the last three years of our life. We've lost our businesses. We've lost our way of living. Now what? I mean, we're just, in fact, we got to go into hiding because if they came after Jesus, now they're going to come after us. And then Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm telling you what, when Jesus rose from the dead, it was game on. 
That's when we see this extraordinary change. In fact, if, you're, if you can't you know, wrap your mind around the resurrection of Jesus, one of the things you really got to look at is this transformation of these disciples from, from just being, I mean, let's face it, less than, I mean, it's like, <laughs> really? And, 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 and then completely disbelieving, completely dissing Jesus. In Peter himself, I mean, saying, oh, I'll stay with you all day long, Jesus. And then, you know, what, what does he do? He denies Jesus to a middle school girl and is like, no, I don't even know who that guy is. Never seen him before. And they're in hiding. And then all of a sudden, the resurrection comes. And all of a sudden, we see a completely different group of, of, of individuals. Have you ever gotten to a place in your life where you were so broken or something, some event happened to you. Maybe you had a brush with death. Maybe you had a circumstance that came along. And, and you got to a place where you were just like, you know what? I don't even care what anybody thinks. I don't, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I don't care what anyone thinks about what I believe. I'm just telling you what. I am a completely different individual. And I'm going to step into what I believe. And engage with it. That's exactly where the disciples are at. So one day, after the resurrection, this is like a very short time, within a month or two of the resurrection. I mean, there's still this buzz and this hubbub of the resurrection of Jesus in Jerusalem. And Peter and John, who shouldn't even have been going to the temple because it was super, super risky for them to do this. They go to the temple. Well, on their way there, they they're walking through the gate, and here's this, this, uh, this lame beggar begging for money. And he had been there, you know, most of his life in the same place. Everyone knew who he was. And so he looks at Peter and John, and, uh, and Peter looks at him, and, and, uh, and they're thinking, Luke records in Acts, he's like, and the beggar thought they were, he was, you know, were going to give him money. But Peter looks at him, and he's like, hey, I don't have any silver or gold, but you know what, if you want to be well, I'll give you what, what, what I have. And so he asks Jesus to heal him, which he does. And the guys, his, his feet and his ankles were his problem. And all of a sudden, he was able to get up and he was able to walk. And the guy just goes nuts as you and I would go nuts. And he is jumping up and down, and he is praising God, and he runs into the temple. So Peter and John, they make their way into the temple. This guy's just going crazy in the temple, and everyone's like, what is going on? Because this guy was crippled out there. He's been out there for years and years and years. All of a sudden, he is jumping up and down. Peter and John are thinking, maybe we should make our way out of the temple. And so they walk back out over into Solomon's Colonnade, which was kind of this outer court of the, of the temple. And the guy runs out of the temple. Everyone else is following them out to find out what in the world just happened. And that's where we pick this up. They all rushed out, all of those who were in the temple, in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was, and I love this, he was holding tightly to Peter and John. So there, he's just hugging it out with Peter and John. I mean, he is so excited. He's like, I am not letting you guys go. Thank you so much. And check this out. This is what ordinary people who become extraordinary do. Peter saw his opportunity. 
That's what ordinary people do who become extraordinary. They see opportunities and then they step into it. They see an opportunity and they don't make an excuse about it. They don't sidestep it. They don't try to go around it. They don't try to just explain it away. They step into the opportunity. Peter saw his opportunity and then he stepped into it and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? You know one of the reasons why God uses ordinary people? Because ordinary people don't think that they're so good that somehow it had anything to do with them. Ordinary people realize it wasn't them at all. It was God. And that is exactly where Peter and John are at. They're thinking, oh, you want to give us glory? You kind of want to start worshiping us? You think we're great? You just need to know it, it wasn't us at all. Another reason why God will use ordinary people. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over. And he's pointing at every single one of them. I mean, you talk about bold. Woo! This is not the same disciples that we saw pre-crucifixion and resurrection. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. I mean, the boldness is like, whoo, Peter, maybe you ought to pipe it down just a little bit. Maybe you ought to just bring it down, buddy, because, I mean, it's already dangerous for you to be here, but now you're preaching in the temple. I mean, in the courts of the temple, you are bringing the message of Jesus, right? I mean, you talk about dangerous. Woo! But he doesn't. He actually ramps it up a little bit. Check this out. Now, repent of your sins and turn to God. <laughs> Whoa! I mean, he just flat out lays it down so that your sins may be wiped away. I can't even begin to tell you the level of boldness this is in this situation, in this location at that time. Incredible by a very ordinary individual who just a month or two before this denied that he even knew who Jesus was. Ordinary people become extraordinary when they step into opportunities that they're looking for that Jesus presents to them. And they do and they say what they feel like God is asking them to do. And to say, well, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. Right? I mean, it's like, Peter, you knew this was going to happen, man. I mean, you've got you to keep it down. You've got to pipe it down a little bit. Bring it down. I mean, kind of water the message a little bit. I mean, just come on. 
I mean, this isn't good. How, how are you going to lead the way? Ordinary people see opportunities. They step into the opportunity and guess what? They trust God with the outcome. I love what Charles Stanley says. He says, you can't go wrong if you obey God and leave all the consequences up to him. You can't go wrong. And they trust him. Is this a dangerous situation? Oh, man. It's dangerous. Check this out. These leaders were very disturbed, and I think that's a lightly stated, that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. So what do they do? They arrest them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. Oh, man. Here we go. They're going to have the same fate as Jesus, and then there's not going to be any leaders to lead this movement. Well, the next morning, they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and let me remind you, crossing, those of you watching online, come on back. If you're in the kitchen, if you, you know, went to the bathroom, finish up real quick, come on, come on back. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're thinking, maybe that was a different Holy Spirit. I mean, maybe they had, you know, something that I, the same Holy Spirit who filled Peter and John in that moment is the same Holy Spirit who is indwelling every single one of you who have declared Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And Peter says to them, rulers and elders of, the, of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? To which they were probably like, well, yeah, we kind of want to know how that happened. Because he was standing right there. So they're like, what do we do with this? You know, we can't really do anything with this because this crippled guy is now walking and he's right there. We can see it. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Ooh, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but God raised from the dead. <laughs> For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This stone, and he's, he's making this, this, this simile or this metaphorical uh, uh, a comparison between this stone that, that is most important. The, the cornerstone in a building is the most important stone of the entire building. Without it, the whole thing can't stand. And he's saying, this is the cornerstone, but you looked at the cornerstone and you rejected that stone. But the Old Testament, the law and the prophets talked about the cornerstone and, he's, and, and, and said, you, you know what, the builders, they're going to reject it. And you guys, he says, are the builders who rejected this stone and he now is the cornerstone. He's the most important thing. The whole thing rests on him. And if we didn't think Peter had been bold enough, check this out. 
There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And if you're here today and you're not saved, you're not a Jesus follower, in fact, maybe you're just like, you know, well, I believe in God. That's not it. The, the, the scriptures say even the demons believe there's a God. And that's why, that's why Peter is being very specific about the name of Jesus. It's not just God. Oh, I believe in God. No, that's not it. It is Jesus. And there is salvation in no one else. And I would challenge you th- this, if, 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 you're, if you're kind of resistant to Jesus and the Bible and the whole thing, have, do you know of another name that's been given under heaven by which you could be saved? I mean, have you thought through that? It's like, no. I, I, I don't know any other name given under heaven by which I can be saved. It's kind of funny. Uh, I saw a quote on Facebook from Johnny Cash the late Johnny Cash. Uh, If you know his story, it's quite a story. But he says, if you really want to go down the the road of finding out the truth, it will always bring you to Jesus. (laughs) There is salvation in no one else. God hasn't given any other name under heaven by which there is salvation. Well, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And check this out. For they could see that they were, would you just say this with me? Ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. What were they? They were ordinary men. Just ordinary guys. Doing something extraordinary because they had an opportunity and they were looking for it and they saw it and they stepped into it and they trusted God in the middle of it. And they allowed the Holy Spirit to speak through them, to do things through them. And they followed his lead. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And then the, uh, the, the Sanhedrin, the, the rulers of their day, this would be like their supreme court. It would be like Congress and the, and the court all together in the same room. Um, it would be our equivalent. They send these two guys out of the room, and they're like, what are we going to do with them? Like, we, we can't tell them, I mean, we can't, we should, probably shouldn't crucify them because, you know what, that didn't really go well with Jesus, and It's probably going to start a riot because here's a guy that we can actually physically look at who has been healed. And so they call him back in and they're just like, you know what? We're just going to strongly suggest that you stop talking about Jesus. Just quit talking about him. And Peter and John, their response was, well, we want to come under your authority, but in this situation... You know what? Do you think that God would want us to obey him or obey you rather than him? We can't do that. So, you know what? We're going to obey God. And so they kick him back out into society, telling him and scolding them to quit talking about Jesus. (laughs) 
So here's the truth. See, God used ordinary men and women. There was women involved in this, in this movement. It wasn't just guys. He used ordinary men and women who became followers of Jesus who changed the world. The reason you are sitting here today 2,000 years later is because of a movement that was started with these guys. Ordinary guys. Ordinary women who did extraordinary things. Because God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And here's my question for you. You have no idea what lies on the other side of your obedience, of what God is calling you to do. And the areas that you have a burden for, for the people you have a burden for, you have no idea what lies on the other side. So come on. Come on, come on, church. Come on, crossing. You have no idea what lies on the other side of your obedience. You have no idea the extraordinary things that God wants to do because you might not be able to. I love Philippians 4.13. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't, but you can, and you can through me. So can I? In some ways, I can't. But Jesus, you can, and you can through me. I can't, but Jesus, I can through you because you strengthen me. So crossing, come on. Some of you, you, you you're engaging in incredible ways, but you, you pass by opportunities. And so here's what I challenge you to do this next week. Would you actually look for some opportunities in the areas where you are so burdened? And when Jesus gives you that opportunity, don't pass it by. Step into it. Trust him. and Ask him to give you the wisdom to know what to do. Ask him to give you the words to say. And in so doing, you will be an extraordinary Jesus follower. And together, we will be an extraordinary church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, day by day, you present us opportunities. And I know that I have been so guilty of just so many times thinking I'm, I'm just ordinary, thinking uh, they don't. They don't want to hear from me. Oh, they don't. They don't. It's none of my business. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say anything. I shouldn't do anything. Uh, may, you know, if I, I, don't, I don't want, I'm tired. I'm busy. That's going to cost me something. I don't really want to step into that. So God, we, we come with our whole basket of excuses. So God, I pray that you would teach us Give us the burden. And may we take a good look at the resurrection of Jesus. And may the burden be so high and so heavy that it outweighs our excuses. Help us to step into the opportunities. Would you give us boldness to do that and courage to do that? And then help us to trust you. God, I pray. 
that we would be able to see an extraordinary movement because we've been obedient and you have done extraordinary things through us. So God, we lay ourselves down at your feet and ask you this week to use us in extraordinary ways. In Jesus' name. All right, well, we are here with Eric after we just wrapped up this series. Uh, I can't do that, or I can do that, however you want to look at it. But, uh, you know, today you kind of talked a little bit about the excuses that we make, you know, with God and, and what he calls us to do. So getting a little personal here, what are, what are some of the excuses that you tend to fall back on and, and use the most, you would think? Yeah. Well, one... Um... I'm a super independent guy, so I always think, well, it's, not, it's really none of my business. Um, and if they wanted to bring it up, they would bring it to me. Uh, yeah. and, and so I, sometimes I, I, I feel like they don't really want to hear it. It's, not, it's really none of my business. Um, and in so doing, that might be the case, but when the Spirit of God is asking you to do something, mm-hmm. that's the time to really step into that opportunity. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it can be it can be really easy for us to assume we know where someone else is at or what someone else wants to or doesn't want to hear. Yeah. Uh, so that's definitely a danger for all of us. Uh, so just trust the Spirit's leading. I mean, uh, God's going to work in their heart the same way He works in our hearts. So, um, so what would you say to somebody who, you know, they listened today, they kind of tuned in, they were all on board, and they're like, yeah, I'm ready to say yes to God, whatever he's calling me to. What the heck is he calling me to? <laughs> how, how, or what would you say to someone who maybe doesn't know how God is leading them yeah. right now? Sometimes I think in Christian world, uh, church world, we think, well, the extraordinary people are the missionaries. You <laughs> yes. know, they're the ones that are. You're and going that's to why Africa. I, it's know. really why I don't want to be extraordinary, because yeah. I don't oh, want to yeah. go over there. Yeah. Um, no, extraordinary, I think, uh, in more times than not, is just in the little things in life. Uh, to, to, to step into those things when God is asking you to say something to someone, to encourage them. This last week I heard, I heard stories of, of a couple people that just in the church that heard about another individual and, uh, and just, you know, just kind of struggling. And so they just brought him a meal. Mm, you know, yeah, yeah. that's what it is. That's, yeah. There's an opportunity. I, I hear about something. I feel like God is asking me to do something. Now, it would be so easy to say, I'm too busy to cook something extra, oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, and then I'd have to, and what if they're just like, why, you know, why would you, you know? no, they did that and they were unbelievably blessed because of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So just. Step out in faith and uh, do what it is God is calling you to do. So uh, it's, it's important for the church to know that the leaders are modeling, mm-hmm. you know, what it is we're, we're asking other people to do. So not putting you on the spot or yeah. anything, but, but what, kind of, kind of putting, kind of putting on, you on yeah. the spot, which uh. is, it, it's good. It's good. <laughs> These are called the hot seats. So. Uh, so what is it that maybe God is calling you to do to step out in faith right now and to, to follow him? Yeah. So, I mean... From a from a church standpoint, uh, there's there's some initiatives that we're looking at that are like whew, really big, and just trying to determine if that's what God wants us to do or or not. Um, personally, you know, it's like we have told people to invest and invite, invest and invite. And before COVID, I challenged the staff to say, "Hey, I'm not expecting 
anyone in the church to invest in Vite if we're not doing yeah. it. And so we were like, could we invest in Vite one person every week for 52 weeks for a whole year? Yeah. And we were doing okay with that <laughs> uh, until COVID until came. COVID. And so now I've been challenged again to say, hey, I'm going to start doing that. And so um, there's one individual that God just kind of keeps bringing back to my mind. I had an opportunity um, and saw it and Thank God that he gave me the strength to step into it. I invited him, and uh, so excited to see if, he, if he'll show. Yeah, that's awesome. So be on the lookout, you know, for what it is God is calling you to do uh, and how you can better uh, serve him and just say yes to what it is that God is doing because we know through him you can do that, and we all can do that. So thanks so much for tuning in with us, and we hope you catch us next week as we kick off a new series, What Makes You Happy.